Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and uh, trying to get people to understand what this Kingdom of God is all about and what it means to seek the Kingdom of God and the righteousness of God is quite an ordeal because there is so much misconception out there exactly what Christ was talking about. And what people do is they supplant the meaning of words used by Jesus Christ, used by the apostles, used in the biblical text, uh, with definitions that are inaccurate. And uh, they they get people to actually worship the images in their mind that they create with this inaccurate perception of simple statements made by Jesus Christ. And once you have people worshiping those ideas and what they think Christ was talking about, it is difficult for them to even begin to understand what the message of the gospel is. Because they think they already have it and... And the lack of humility and vanity, personal vanity, keeps us from perceiving the simple, spiritual, you could even say metaphysical truths that Christ was here to give us, that we might be saved. Because that's what he came. He came that we might be saved. A lot of people go around thinking that we're saved because Christ came. No, you're saved because you accept Christ. Christ meaning the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you refuse the anointing of the Holy Spirit, as long as you are doing that, that sin cannot be overcome. It cannot be forgiven as long as you are blaspheming, which is rejecting the wisdom and the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And we substitute the Holy Spirit with emotion and uh, enthusiasm that is conjured up by gathering with other people that have the same addiction to the emotional uh, counterfeit of the righteousness of God. That we think that we are righteous because we are matching our actions with those that are permitted in the catechism of our own imagination. Now that, those are, those are deep statements and so we're gonna go and I had no idea I was gonna say it when I started. I, you know, I put together a lot of notes and ideas and do a lot of writing at Preparing You, which are is basically my notepad where I put up ideas about all kinds of things. And uh, then we have these shows where I get to talk to you. And then I try to get to the uh, community call on uh, Sunday evenings. 
at least for some of the time and uh you know if if my schedule and busy day permits it so that if people have questions they can ask me there there's usually a minister there that can try to answer the question and of course we have lots of ministers around the country and around the world not as many as we should have <laughs> but we have have people that you can sit down in the tens hundreds and thousands like Christ commanded and ask them and then all of us will gather together because that's what a network is. What what the kingdom of God is, and I'm going to throw out a word, we're going to hear it more and more, is a nomological network. That that's what the kingdom of God is. And of course, Christ is at the center of that. And Christ is this word that means the anointing or anointing. And the anointing that we're looking for is the Holy Spirit that is supposed to dwell within each of us. And write upon our hearts and minds. Unfortunately, we have a lot of people out there saying that they are anointed, that they are Christ, and they are writing on the hearts and minds of people, and they use what they are being taught by those people as a substitute for the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people ask me, well, what should we be doing? Well, I have no idea what you individually should be doing. That is something that the Holy Spirit should enlighten you individually to come into the realization of. And then once that Holy Spirit is acting and dwelling within you and writing upon your heart and your mind on a daily basis, moment by moment, then you can come together with others and you will become a part of the body of Christ, the body of the anointing. And how will we know that you are a bo- part of that body of anointing is by what you're doing. By your works will tell us whether or not you are. Now you could be counterfeiting that and we could be fooled individually, but God is not fooled. And so the question is, are you doing what Christ said? Are you doing what the early Christians who were obedient to the words and commands of Christ were doing? If you're not, then you are probably not or should not be considered a Christian, a follower of Christ. But now we use, that's another one of those words. People say, I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart as your personal Savior? Oh, yes, I have done that. But have you? Or are you under a strong delusion, which we were warned about? Are you still a worker of iniquity while thinking you're doing great things in Christ's name? Because Christ said there was going to be many who were so deceived and warned us over and over again. The apostles warned us over and over again that we be deceived by no one. Let no man deceive you. Amongst those men that you have to be careful of that might be deceiving you includes you. You might be deceiving yourself. So the question that should come into everybody's mind is what was the early church doing? And am I doing the same? Assuming that the early church, we're talking pre-Constantine, you know, first century church. And I used to be belong to a email group, a network group, I think it was on Yahoo Groups, that was called First Century Church Group. And uh, 
I shared a lot of information and I listened a lot to what they had to say and we were just starting out. We didn't even have preparing you at that time. I think we were using his holy church, uh, dot, uh, net at that time because we knew the early church was a network because we knew that the early, that, you know, just by history, by studying what the early church was doing, we knew it was a network and, and we knew actually I, I, didn't have in my recollection at the time exactly the fact that Jesus told us to be a network. And I've had people who think they are Bible scholars saying there's nothing in the Bible about network because the, they can Google it or or do a search in their Bible software and they well, we don't even see the word network. <laughs> but of course, Christ commanded that his disciples... Make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is the definition of a network. But a question may come up, is it a pneumological network? <laughs> so, <laughs> because uh, unless you are actually connecting one another with what psychology calls constructs, then you are probably not a pneumological network. You're an imaginary network. Because you all imagine that you're doing what Christ said, but you're not actually doing it. And I find this amongst a lot of the home church groups, that uh, they are not actually a pneumological network like Christ commanded us to be. Now, you know, there's a lot of other words we're going to throw out, and I'm going to address that over and over again. A lot of people, you know, what's a pneumological network? Well, I'm not... We will look at some of the definitions of that, but we're going to try to put it in the context of the teachings of Christ and the teachings of God through the Holy Scriptures and what these people were talking about. We finished and have posted on the network uh, the study that we've done with Malachi. All, all four or five chapters of Malachi, I say four or five because some people divide it up into five chapters, and uh, in King James is four chapters. But we've gone through the those chapters and we've shown you how the message of Malachi was no different than the message of Christ and John the Baptist and no different than the message of Abraham and Moses and no different than the message you need to hear today. But so many people read Malachi and they don't get it. But anyway, at Preparing You Now, you can look up Malachi and you can see that study with side panel of notes and other links and and audios on each page. And you can use it as a Bible study. I know a lot of people that are creating Bible studies in their local communities. But if they're, you know, if you're getting one of these uh, formula books of uh, Bible studies, you may not be getting the truth because it's very clear that there's huge blind spots in people's thinking. When it comes to looking at the Holy Scriptures. They, they read it. I know guys who read it every, every year. They go through the entire, uh, scripture. But they don't get it. And they don't get it because there's something blocking their vision. Now there's something physical blocking their vision, but there's also something metaphysical blocking their vision. And uh, what we want to do is remove those objects, which are the scales upon their eyes, that keeps them from seeing 
the whole truth. Because that's what you want is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> because anything that is not wholly true is a part of a lie. And we're going to put all this into context and we're going to approach it and walk around the elephant in the room, which is what uh, is blocking people from seeing the kingdom of God and seeking the kingdom of God and being a part of the kingdom of God. And so uh, by walking around it, you can get an opportunity to see some of the things that the world does not want you to see. I mean, this cancel culture that we see is the tip of an iceberg that is floating in a sea of iniquity. And uh, they've already canceled in your mind some of the basic teachings and uh, wisdom of the Holy Scriptures. And so we're going to look at a lot of different things and touch on these things and, like I say, walk around this elephant in the room that is keeping us from seeing the gospel of the kingdom in the light that was present in that first century church. On that group I was in, it was amazing to me, I finally pointed out that the early church was a system of social welfare through charity. And it was exclusively through charity, and that's what made it pure religion. And it did not, early Christians did not avail themselves of the free bread of Rome because that was provided by men who exercised authority one over the other and Christ had commanded, told us that it was not to be that way with us. Speaking to the apostles and those to whom he appointed the kingdom of God. And they... They could not fathom that. They could not put that idea together, even with the facts that I presented. They said, well, there wasn't any other welfare system at that time in the course of this conversation. Well, the the story of the free bread of Rome, you know, the bread that they handed out on a daily basis, on a weekly basis for, cert, for sure, was was an extreme part of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire because and it was was spoken about by historians of historians for hundreds of years before it even got going as bad as it did and and hundreds of years before Christ and you can go back and find out that that's actually what Abraham was doing and what Malachi was talking about is a, a system of social welfare by charity Instead of by force. It's definitely what John the Baptist was talking about. Everybody else was doing it by force. But John the Baptist said, no, you do it by charity. Christ said, you do it by charity. The apostles are seen doing it by charity. When the famines and and uh, decay of the Roman Empire was getting underway during that first century. Paul, Barnabas was going around providing relief for Christians through a system of charity, which is the definition of pure religion. And they could not see it, even though it was spelled out. And we spell it out in in great detail in the free books that we have and the hundreds of articles and the hundreds now approaching, I don't know, 
500, 600 audios that we have available. We're showing you with facts and footnotes and data and sources and looking at the individual scriptures going through all the prophets, hopefully eventually, if we have enough time before things get really bad and there is no internet, (laughs) so that you can see these things. But seeing them, it is essential that you become a doer of the word. You have to become involved with the actual doing of the word. Not just say, Lord, Lord, I believe, But you have to become that doer of the word. Not because you're going to earn the right to salvation. It will always be a gift. But what is salvation? Salvation from evil. Salvation from darkness. That's what Christ said that when he came, the people sat in darkness. Well, I can tell you, they sit in darkness again. So anyway... We're going to talk about a lot of things and I'm going to bring up a lot of topics and a lot of words that some of you may not be familiar with and we will hit definitions of them and we will come back to those definitions again and uh, and put them in other contexts and the more we do that, they will become more familiar with you and hopefully by doing this, you know, walking around the elephant, you know, you ask the three, four blind men, What is this big thing in the middle of the room? And one feels the trunk and the other feels the tail and the other feels the belly and the others feel the legs. And they all have a different description of what an elephant is. Because they're only experiencing a little part of it. Well, we want to see the whole truth. We want to know what it is that is blocking us from seeing and experiencing the kingdom of God. Because if you were really experiencing the kingdom of God... You would be healing people and you would be seeing what is coming and you would not be deceived, so easily deceived. And the world is unbelievably deceived. And we'll we'll touch on some of that. We'll get into whatever's in the news a little bit today. But it's not anything new under the sun. What is in the news today in principle has gone on many, many, many times before. It's just getting to an unbelievable extreme. I mean, the whole world, and we can say that, you know, like the shutdown, the coronavirus pandemic and shutdown is spread across the whole world. Now, some countries have not fallen for it, but now our contacts in Sweden say that even though they did not shut down, did not suffer, despite what you see on Google, did not suffer massive casualties or any such nonsense, there's actually a movement now in Sweden to shut down now, which is way beyond the fact. Uh, Most people have already been exposed to coronavirus and already have antibodies in their body, or T1 cells already know how to produce the antibodies. So the coronavirus is not a threat. From the beginning, the coronavirus was not a threat to the vast majority of the people. Only about, you know... 10, 20% of the people would get it and even show symptoms of coronavirus. Now, there were a lot of other flus going around and you can't tell the difference between one flu and the next simply with a PCR test. 
So the reality is, is that, you know, they say, well, why are all the other flus gone? We all, everything is co- coronavirus. <laughs> well, they're not gone. They're actually still around. Now, the, I've heard some doctors try to say, well, there's actually where you will have less of other flus when one flu becomes predominant. Because what's happening is that it's stimulating your system to prepare for these invading flu exosomes, which we call viruses, that some people, some bodies will start to replicate. Some people's bodies will start to replicate. Many people already have a T1 cell immunity and their body picks up on it right away and they don't even get sick, which is why you have so many asymptomatic cases where they have no symptoms. They were exposed, their body began to produce antibodies, but it damaged so few of their... And, of course, the virus didn't damage anything, but your body shuts down those cells that replicate. So if very few cells replicate it, you will have almost no symptoms. And you will, your cells will know, don't replicate this, and you won't get sick. And that's the way it works. But all these immunity deniers think that the only way you can be safe is with a vaccine. But they got that idea because they worship medicine. They literally worship medicine. They think that medicine will save them. When in truth, the Creator will save them. Has built in salvation from pandemics like coronavirus in your system. I mean, we've survived real pandemics for thousands of years because our body is built to do that. Now, you know, and we've shown examples where that didn't happen. But we're going to get right into this and we will come back to some of the crazy things that are going on in the coronavirus as we touch on them in, in the next, uh, in the next part of the show. But, uh, right now I was going to look at the word metaphysics. It's an odd word and, and terribly misunderstood. It's supposedly a branch of philosophy. Uh, that, that examines the fundamental nature of reality. That's what metaphysics is supposed to be doing it. It's doing is examining that fundamental nature of reality, including the, the relationship between the mind and matter, between uh, substance and attributes. You can't really see attributes. You can see evidence of attributes, but you can't see them. Attributes are a part of what we call in philosophies, constructs, because you don't actually see them. Constructs are things that you don't actually see. And that word will come up again. So I'm just giving you an introduction to it. We'll come back and repeat that. Uh, but uh, it's uh, metaphysics is this uh, substance and attributes uh, between potentiality and actuality. Actuality, you can usually see the physical evidence, but potentiality, you can't necessarily see. You have to deduce it, and that's kind of what metaphysics is. And they have a couple of different terms in talking about metaphysics, such as uh, causation and and something they call grounding, which we'll look at later. But I've just mentioned the term, that this, this strange term of grounding. Yeah, the, the idea of metaphysics, it comes from this... Uh, the, the Greek word that means after the things of nature. 
Metaphysics is following the things that are in this thing we call nature that was created, that we were surrounded, whether it was created by God or the Big Bang or whatever. That's what metaphysics is trying to understand, the things that follow nature. We'll talk more when we come back. So, welcome back. So, we were talking about this Greek word metaphysica, which actually is composed of uh, several words, meta, tav, physica. But uh, it it has to do with the idea and doctrine of uh, reality outside of the human sense or perception. It's because it's it's not dealing with the the material reality. It's it's uh, this terminology of metaphysics refers to the study of what cannot be reached through objective studies of material reality. So it's immediately subjective. So I mean, like you know, there's jokes about the fact there are no wrong answers in the study of metaphysics because the fact that it is. It has to involve itself into the subjectiveness of the individual. But that is the ultimate goal in seeking the kingdom of God, is to seeking the reality, both that which is seen and unseen. This idea that there is a spiritual designer that we call God, uh, versus this uh, theory of Big Bang, which is just this, uh, everything is simply a chemical reaction, there are repercussions with accepting the idea of Big Bang Theory with no intelligent designer, no no uh, force that exists beyond what we can see. You know, there, there's this, this element of science where we we think that it's only scientific if we can actually physically observe it. And of course, metaphysics in itself is saying no. There is things that we cannot observe <laughs> that still are real and have an influence. And that, that goes back to that word of grounding and causation. Because the idea that there is a spiritual reality below our physical reality that is actually maybe above our uh, physical reality, just simply outside of our human sense of perception is well accepted by some of the greatest philosophers in history. But you still this, you know, Big Bang is dispelling the idea that there's even a God. There, there supposedly the Big Bang does away with the idea of this intelligent design. It, it's a strange theory, you know, and Terry Pratchett wrote, uh, in the beginning, there was nothing which exploded. Which is basically summing up the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> there was nothing and it exploded. And I always would say, you know, well, okay, there was a Big Bang. Who lit the fuse? Who who set it off? I mean, it's just an incomplete theory. It doesn't, it thinks it does not have to explain where the Big Bang came from. Where, what banged? Uh, and of course, you could you could run into the same problem with the idea that there's the theory of God, this divine intelligence that is behind creation, that creates the patterns that we see in nature. 
which is part of that metaphysics. After the things of nature that we can observe, we imagine that there must be something more than what we observe. And that's where metaphysics come in. Even Carl Sagan said, science is not only compatible with spirituality, it is a profound source of spirituality. And this is a conversation that I've been hearing uh, the last week by a number of you know fairly intelligent people where they talk about religion. And religion is actually... Uh, it's not what we say today. I mean, it wasn't at the time of Christ, religion. There was people at the time of Christ who had the vision of religion that is common today. But it is not the way that it's spoken of in the New Testament. I mean, the word religion only shows up five times in the New Testament and four times it's talking about bad religion. And the one time it's talking about good religion, religion is how you take care of the needy of society. And it's only pure religion if it's unspotted by the constitutional order and systems of government of the world. And that's what the Greek text actually is stating. And the systems of the world, back to that first century church email group, included a welfare system provided by men who exercised authority one over the other, forced the contributions of the people, and then redistribute those contributions by their authority and by their power after taking those contributions from the people. That system of caring for the needy through force is the antithesis of the kingdom of God, the antithesis of the gospel. The antithesis of Holy Scripture. Abraham didn't do it. Moses didn't do it. Elijah didn't do it. Uh, David was tempted to do it. Saul did it. He forced the contributions and was called foolish for doing it. David was tempted to do it, but convinced by the wife of the man he was after to force <laughs> not to do it. But because... He would realize that, you know, I get these ideas and they're wrong. And he would repent of them. Unfortunately, we have a lot of ideas in our head we need to repent of. And we do not understand how we are wrong in our approach and our use of these ideas that are just not what they should be. So anyway, I talked about this uh, nomological network, but uh, this whole word nomology... And we'll, we'll revisit it a number of times. I mean, it's defined as a branch of science and philosophy that is concerned with the laws or principles governing, governing the operation of the mind. It's how we think. That's, you know, it comes from a word nomology. Ology meaning order or the word. Uh, that's that's one of the first definitions of that. But the word had to do with logic, reason. And nomology has to do with kind of the law. So that's why they say the law are the principles governing the operation of the mind. Nomology. And the, particularly that it is the operation of the mind is defined by custom and culture. But the reality of whether it's right or not depends on whether the custom of culture or custom or culture is right. 
it is believed that the term is uh, originates with like Aristotle, you know, back you know fifth century BC. That's you know five centuries before Christ. That's where the term came from. But it's used in modern science all the time, and that's why we get this nomological network. And uh, what is that? And we'll. We're moving in the direction of understanding the kingdom of God, which, as I said at the beginning of the show, is a network. It's a network of men sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, hopefully with the Holy Spirit burning within the hearts and minds of each individual man, guiding that each individual man so that he is not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but eating of the tree of life. Which, what is the, which is what the Holy Spirit really represents. It's when we're walking in the Holy Spirit, we're walking with God. He is showing us what is good and what is evil. What is right and what is wrong. What is good and true and what is not good and true. What is less than good and true. Less than true. Which is the lie. We will be able to see that by the light of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But if the Holy Spirit is not dwelling within us, we are not living in the garden of paradise. We are not redeemed. We are still subject to the world, the flesh, and the devil, which will feed us from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we will try to decide for ourselves what is good and evil. Because there is a void in our hearts and our minds. And so you you go back to this study of the laws or principles governing the operation of the mind. Is the Holy Spirit writing upon your heart and your mind? Because then the nomology of you is based upon the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Not... Dwelling within your catechism, not dwelling within your perception, your imagination, but actually this separate spirit, not your spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, which holy means separate spirit, dwelling within you. It's not you deciding what is good and evil. It's the Holy Spirit revealing it to you. And then you acting upon it. If the Holy Spirit reveals that, you know, you should do this or you should go here or you should look at this or uh, whatever, where it is guiding your perception so that you are seeing things through the eyes of the Holy Spirit instead of the, the, your own eyes of vanity, you're going to see things differently. But if you do not act upon, become that doer of the logo, doer of the word, then the Holy Spirit will diminish within you. If you do what the Holy Spirit is guiding you to do, if you strive to do what the Holy Spirit is guiding you to do, then the Holy Spirit may grow within you. But the, you you are not conjuring up that Holy Spirit. It listeth where it will. And that's a, an important principle. So anyway, like I mentioned before, there's this thing called grounding uh, philosophy, uh, this metaphysical grounding. And it's a strange term, and so that we're, we're just gonna touch on it a little bit, but we'll come back to it in order for you to start understanding. You know, this metaphysical study is, 
actually a study of those things that are not visible. So therefore, it is, it can include the spirituality of mankind, the singularity of that spirituality, because we know there is a spirit out there in the world that is not of God. I mean, all spirit is of God, but when I say not of God, not completely of God. I mean, Satan probably had a lot of good characteristics as that uh, character goes in Scripture. You know, he... You know, he had guts, I guess. He, you know, courage, uh, power, strength, different characteristics. But he did not have obedience to the Holy Spirit. But then again, most of you do not have obedience to the Holy Spirit. We know Adam and Eve did not have obedience to the Spirit of God. That they did contrary to what God said and actually tried to decide without God and become gods themselves. And then they denied it, hid from it, realized they didn't have the power to actually do that. They were naked to the power to do that. And they hid from that. They were ashamed of it, but they did not repent. And so the light that was there in the garden, because now they're moving into darkness, they fled that light. And we do the same thing every day when we don't admit the truth about ourselves. So anyway, this metaphysical ground uh, is supposed to be a distinctive metaphysical kind of determination. That's what they mean by grounding, a form of determination. It is a kind of explanation. This determination, this grounding is an explanation. These explanations answer questions asking in virtue of what uh something is so for example suppose uh, that an act of uh, uh an act is pious what we would call pious just in in case it is loved by the gods that that we believe that it is pious now originally the word pious if you go back a hundred years or maybe a couple hundred years pious had to do with the act uh of fatherly respect I mean, we have a natural father. We're supposed to honor our father and our mother. And uh, because our mother is a part of our our uh, procreation. But also there's this father in that we call Father God who's in heaven, who's in this spiritual realm that has brought about the world in which we live. And do we respect that and the institutions of that father and the philosophies of that father and the ideas of that father? Anything that you do that would be considered pious would be respecting our Father, both our temporal Father and our Father who art in heaven. And so that's what that word used to mean. So grounding has to do with that respect of that creator force, that spiritual creator force that we call God. And the reality is now, if you if you want to pretend that there is no God or believe that, well, he's talking about God like God exists. Well, you can either worship <laughs> the idea that there is a superior creator that has set everything in motion, or you can worship the Big Bang, which is there was nothing and it exploded. So, who is the more 
uh, deluded or superstitious, you know, following the idea that we worship something that did not exist, uh, but it exploded. <laughs> and they think we're foolish for believing in this concept of God, because we don't really know what God is. We talk about it. We walk. God is this other elephant in the room, <laughs> more than the elephant in the room. It, it includes the whole room itself. And we can't really put God in a bottle like a genie. But we we have these terms, you know, like Yahweh. We refer Yahweh is not really the name of God. Name has to do with something. It's the characteristics of a thing. You describe it with a name, and that name Yadavai is a description of God. God didn't, you know, nobody named God when he was born. That's when you get normally get a name. That <laughs> you get born and somebody uh, ascribes you with a name, but God didn't do that. So we, and it says right in the Bible that He's known by many names, and one of those names is Yahweh, which has an actual meaning and it is a descriptive term describing the nature of God. He exists. He is the existing one. He exists, therefore He is, and we're going to touch on that. You exist. You think, therefore you exist. Exactly what you exist as, that may be a matter of opinion. It may get into that grounding, that uh, determination. And we have lots of things like the Bible to help us determine whether or not, you know, we are what we say we are. But, uh, you know, I'll bring up Alan Watts, who... You know, he was a genius, what, 160 IQ guy. He was a writer. And uh, he brought a lot of the Eastern ideas and philosophies and made them popular through his writings. You know, he was back in the 30s, etc. And, uh, but the reality is, is that, you know, his own personal life, he, he, he couldn't remain faithful to his wives. I mean, he had at least three wives and at least one mistress, and I don't know who else he had. And according to some, he wasn't a very good father. But he was really smart. He had this real high IQ, but high IQ doesn't make you wise. It just means that you have a lot of information in your head. So what is the difference between having a lot of information in your head and being wise? Well, it has to do with your perception. You know, are you willing to see the whole truth? You may see all kinds of truth, but if you deny certain truths... Then this this uh, grounding uh, becomes uh, faulty. You know, you have a kind of a ground fault. You you, you know, um, you're not really perceiving the true nature of things because you're denying some of the perceptions. Or you have a lack of perception on some things. So anyway, uh, Alan Watt once said, the menu is not the meal. And that's a little tiny short statement. But the menu is not the meal. Religion, studying religion, when we think religion is what we think about God, which is not really what religion was. Religion was how we took care of the needy. It's, it's from the word threskia, which has to do with what you do. 
It's are you the doer of the word? Are you really loving your neighbor as yourself? That's what religion is all about. But it has become what you think about God. And through, as we mentioned, catechisms and uh, uh, religious theologies and philosophies, religious philosophies, we write about God and our study of God. And that is the menu. But the menu is not the meal. You can study about God forever and never really come to an understanding of God, which is the description the scriptures mention that. Forever studying but never coming to a knowledge of God. And that's what we often do. So we're going to shift gears here a little bit and uh talk about chaos and order. Or order and chaos. Like order is this one thing over here and chaos is battling order or chaos is over here and order is trying to organize chaos and actually order and chaos are also synonymous or you can uh, create an analogy of good and evil and we think evil is this one you know the yin and yang this opposing force and over here there's this other force of good and they're in this constant battle with each other that is that is a very deceptive perception of good and evil, which is why we often see good and evil compared in the Bible with light and darkness. Now we can understand light and darkness. Now again, remember, metaphysical is looking at the the things of nature and coming to a conclusion in your mind, hopefully with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, as to what you're really looking at and what you're so that your perception is more clear. So we look at this uh, comparison of light and darkness, and is light shining into the darkness, viscerating the darkness, making the darkness disappear? You know, so when you look into a black hole, you see blackness, because no light escapes, supposedly. But if you shine a light that actually can go in, into this darkness, a dark room, since suddenly the room is lit up and we can see everything in the room. But you can't go to a room that is full of light and shine darkness into it. That isn't the nature of darkness. Darkness is simply the absence of light. And evil is the absence of good. And chaos is the absence of order. But, you know, if you listen to people like Jordan Peterson, and we're going to look at, you know, Jordan Peterson is out with his new book, and we're going to bounce off some of his ideas in his new book so that we can get a better picture of the kingdom of God. Hopefully, he'll see this someday, or <laughs> hear this someday, you know, get a better perception. He wants to go in and study the Bible more, and I've watched some of his studying of the Bible. And he has a very interesting perspective, but he's just one individual, one soul, struggling to find the truth. And the truth is out there for all of us to find. But, like I say, there's this scales on our eyes and this elephant in the room that is keeping us from seeing it. And so we're going to, like I say, walk around that to try to find. But in order to find that truth, we have to understand some of the terminology. So, order is not an opposing force against chaos, because chaos 
is simply the absence of order. So what happens is order flows into chaos and chaos becomes order. Like the Holy Spirit comes into where there is a void, a vacuum, and brings order. A light comes into darkness and there is no more darkness. And good comes into evil and there's no more evil. But there never was any evil. There was simply the absence of good. There is simply the absence of light. There was simply the absence of order. But you needed the vacuum, the chaos, the evil, the darkness, for the light to have some place to flow into. But that principle of flow from light into darkness, dispelling the darkness, that concept, that principle, that law is a part of the order of creation. So chaos is a part of the order. Evil is a part of the good. It doesn't really exist, but its absence gives purpose to the good to flow into it. We'll be right back and expound upon that idea. You can think about it during the break. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about order and chaos and out of order chaos and out of chaos order. I mean, what came first, order or chaos? Well, chaos came first, but chaos is not an actual chaos. Chaos is simply the absence of order and order came into that. So what if the Big Bang that was nothing which exploded was actually something that came into a realm where there was nothing. (laughs) Something came into a realm from another realm and it, it came into a realm where there was nothing. And we said, it exploded. Well, it exploded into this realm (laughs) from another realm. So was the explosion, you know, we think of an explosion like you have dynamite or TNT or something like that and you light this fuse and that thing exists there and explodes and blows everything that's already around it away from it. And then, of course, then there's a backlash to the explosion where everything, you know, the pressure that was pushed out then goes beyond the the natural pressure and then comes back again. So that that's the implosion. So, I mean, so we're thinking of where there was nothing and it exploded. Maybe it was simply like the breath of God coming into this realm. And bringing existence. And we observe it and think that it exploded. And it's actually this spiritual existence that existed in another realm outside of our experience that came into this realm. And of course there's string theories and multi-universe theories and and all that stuff that where scientists are saying, well, yeah, something like that. But if you mention God, they say, oh, no, it has nothing to do with God. This is all science. But uh, even Carl Sagan realizes that the spirituality is a part of creation. It is that which we cannot see. It's the metaphysical that is 
is grounded behind the reality we can see. It follows nature, or does nature follow the existence of that pattern in creation that originates with the creator, God? All these things, you can play around with them, get get dizzy with those concepts, but it's really easy to understand order and chaos, good and evil, when you put it into this this uh, menu of light and darkness. Darkness being the absence of light and light filling the darkness because darkness does not fill the light. It's the other way around. So let's take a look at truth and the lie. Truth is what is. It's It's not our perception of what is. It is what is. We, we may have a perception of what is, but our perception, our opinion of the truth may or may not be accurate. But the truth is what exists, what is real. It is the answer. And we have to pursue it to find it. Anything less than the truth is by its nature a lie. And that's what a lie is. It's something that is less than true. It is something that is not fully true. And uh, like you can have light in the room, but it's still rather dim. And you still can't see everything clearly. But you can see that there's something in the room, but you just can't see. You, you, it's like looking through that glass dimly. And I use some of these metaphors that we find in the Bible because they're trying to tell you about the spirituality of the kingdom of God so that the kingdom of God can manifest itself in your physical reality so that the spirit of God can burst and explode in you and dispel the chaos and the darkness and the evil that is all around you. And evil is all around us today. It is expanding its influence. We see it in the news. And uh, evil is this absence of good. Well, good bringeth life. Evil hampers, uh, degenerates, uh, decays, corrupts life. Is less than life. And in the darkness of the chaos... Or the, in the chaos of the darkness, we will be taking life from one another. We will be devouring one another. We will become perfect savages, uh, exercising force and, and uh, taking away liberties and all these things. And that influence of chaos is growing in my perception of the world around us. But at the same time, order needs to be growing in us as well, as individuals first. Because that's another thing. Besides order and chaos, good and evil, light and darkness, truth and the lie, we have you as an individual, and then we have the network or the collective of the kingdom of God. I don't want to use that word collective too often in relationship to the kingdom of God. Because the collective of the kingdom of God is not a collective of things. It is not one purse. It is us coming into the pious 
performance of our duty to God and our fellow man through what is called pure religion, through the liberty of choice. And so, the kingdom of God is composed of individuals who are in a state of communion that is of the Holy Spirit and thereby its nature dispelling evil. It's actually driving out the darkness and driving out the evil and driving out the confusion of chaos. Because chaos doesn't really exist. It's really a poor term because we have this idea that it's everything all mixed up. It is things mixed up. But chaos is simply the absence of the order of God. But nothing is really absence of the order of God. Because the emptiness in this realm, the vacuum in this realm, was meant to be filled by the order of God, by the Spirit of God. In order to have that flow of the Spirit into this realm, it had to be empty to begin with. There had to be nothing here. And then it bursts into this realm like your breath bursts into an empty balloon, filling that balloon. And where there was nothing, there is now something expanding the universe within that balloon. And that's what we're seeing. But it's not just from a central point. It's ongoing because every atom in the universe, every atomic structure in the universe is energized with this creative power. Otherwise, you know, I mean, the atom is vibrating thousands of times per second, which gives it its nature. Gold vibrates at one frequency and, and lead at another and and carbon at another, and they maintain their existence as carbon and lead and gold and silver and, you know, all the helium and hydrogen and all these things maintain their existence. Now, there's talk that they can decay and become something else. There's talk that they could be energized and become something greater. You know, uh, like they bombard lead in a nuclear reactor and it becomes gold radioactive gold and not very much of it but over a period of time lead becomes gold supposedly in these reactors because they found it there because they were bombarded until their frequency actually increased and became this other isotope this other you know uh, ingredient on the uh, periodic table this is this is going on all the time, but the point is, is how in the world is the frequency of every one of these atoms staying so constant? Because creation has power flowing into every atom in existence. So anyway, without getting too complicated, let's go back to this order and chaos. Chaos is simply the absence of order. It is created so there is a flow of order into existence because... That flow is the result of a cause and effect. Now, cause and effect is not like chaos and order or light and darkness. Cause and effect is like vacuum and something filling that vacuum. It's seeking that level 
where it comes into existence. This is what cause and effect is. And we live in a cause and effect universe. And in order to have a cause and effect universe, you have to have both order and chaos. Now, I'll put all this together later on when we're talking about these things. But, uh, so that, that one question is just to understand that light literally eviscerates darkness. Because darkness never existed. It was the absence of existence and light came in where there was darkness. And we have sat in darkness and some of us are in more darkness than we should be. And we want that light to come in and fill us. And we often refer to that light as the Holy Spirit. So how do we get the Holy Spirit to come into us and fill us? Because we cannot control the Holy Spirit. We do not conjure it up. That's all witchcraft to think that, you know, if I do this and do this and do that, then the Holy Spirit has to fill me and then I will know. And you can't buy it. You can trade it. You can't. But there are things you can do that stops it from coming in. This is what the shadows of trauma, the shadows of denial is what keeps the light out. It wants to come in, but if we shut the door to the light, then the light does not come in. So, we cannot control the light, but we can try to reject the light, shut the light out. And that is what seeking the kingdom of God is, is setting down those things that block that light. So, there's another word, uh, sequela. Uh, it was just considered a pathological condition resulting from a disease, an injury, a therapy or a trauma or something, where you have this pathological, this defective condition, you know, and we, this evil condition, this condition of chaos, this condition of darkness in our heart, it can come about because of the results of this disease, injury, therapy or trauma. And so they call that sequela. And, uh, you know, it can be chronic uh, complication and cause acute conditions, etc. If you're talking about medicine or uh, a mental state, etc. Well, original sin is, uh, is the pathological, con- pathological condition of rejecting the, the light of God the walking with God and the choosing to go it alone and to decide for ourselves what was good and evil instead of accepting the truth as God was offering it to us to to block out the light of God to hide from the light of God to run away from the light of God because we don't want to admit that we cannot decide what is good and evil we cannot we our opinion does not alter reality we are not that much God. <laughs> we are made in the image of God, but we cannot assert God. So anyway, that, that word will come up several times in our discussion of this. Uh, so one of the definitions of this sequela is, uh, just to give it in more simple terms, is the result or consequences of something. And of course, our particular state today is the consequences of the original sin, which we don't blame on Adam because we're all doing it all the time. We're not accepting the responsibility of our own rejection of God. And we have all rejected that light of God to one degree or another. And we have all accepted it. 
to one degree or another. But we need to be filled with that light. We do not make ourselves good, but we can allow the Holy Spirit to come in and dwell in us, and that will give us the pathway to goodness. So this sequela is the consequences or the outcome or the results or the uh, the issue or product of an event this uh, that creates a pathological condition in us. So um, anyway, with that, let's take a look at uh, society and what's going on in society today before this show begins all the time on the on the station that we are on. We hear the news and we hear something of what's in the news uh, in our present reality in the world in which we now in this moment of time exist. And one of the stories this week is that dozens of cases of spontaneous miscarriages, stillbirths, have occurred immediately after, you know, within 24 to 48 hours or, you know, maybe a little bit more of receiving this COVID-19 injection. And uh, I went through and I've added to the page we have the science, in the, at least in the footnotes, you know, I went through all the fact checkers, <laughs> whatever that means, and looked at how they are arguing against some of the real science. And, and, and it's just embarrassing to see these guys argue against the real science. And uh, because they don't use science to argue against it. They use ad hominems and, and fallacies and... Uh, and uh, create all kinds of, you know, it's amazing. I mean, we might get a chance to go through some of it. I might do it in the afternoon show. I have to go somewhere else today. Hopefully I will be back in time for the afternoon show. But uh, some of the other things is this, you know, the BioNTech uh, Pfizer uh, contains, you know, injection contains this uh, polyethylene uh, glycol, which is sometimes called PEG. And 70% of the people develop antibodies against that substance, that PEG, PEG. And polyethylene glycol, if you look at the actual chemistry of it, that's an amazing thing. But we're, this is not a chemistry show, so we won't go through that. But that's a substance that your body can actually start, you know, like squalene can actually start creating, which is an adjuvant you find in a lot of vaccines. You, your body will actually create antibodies because your your body produces these exosome antibodies that can actually break down certain chemicals. They're actually designed by your T cells or your B cells to break down toxins that are in you. And those toxins can be created by like bacterias are common for creating toxins in you. Uh, pertussis is one of those things. When they even give you the pertussis shot, that's not an actual vaccine. It's actually the toxins that make you ill when you have pertussis. And they give you those toxins so that your body produces the antibodies that neutralize those toxins. So they're just injecting poison in you so that your body will create an antibody, what we call an antibody, or learn how to create an exosome that will neutralize that toxin. That's actually, but it's your body that is curing you. 
they're actually poisoning you and you know like uh, in uh, Princess Bride he has spent the last year becoming immune to iocane powder by taking small little doses of iocane powder <laughs> his body developed toxins or, or exosomes that would neutralize that toxin so that he wouldn't be affected by that that's human nature I don't want to use you know fictitious shows all the time but that <laughs> to explain this but uh, you literally can become immune to toxins uh, by being exposed to those toxins. Uh, it has nothing to do with viruses. Viruses are actually... The virus doesn't make you sick. It's your body replicating the, the, the exosome that we call a virus. Your body recognizing that those cells replicating that need to shut down and stop replicating it. And your body goes around and sends out a message to shut down all the cells that are replicating this foreign exosome, which it should have never reproduced to begin with or replicated to begin with. And when they begin to shut down those cells, that creates what they call a cytokine kind reaction. And that is what you feel as being sick. It's your body shutting down cells in your body that are doing what they should not have ever done to begin with. The people who show no symptoms, their body is so robustly healthy, they they don't replicate those. Their body knows real quick, oh, don't replicate that. That's not That's not you. That's a foreign exosome. And, of course, now the injections are injecting you with a synthetic exosome. A synthetic envelope containing RNA and on the surface, uh, a syncytin homologous protein, <laughs> which we simply call S1, which is both on the coronavirus and on that synthetic exosome that they're injecting into your muscle tissue. And they're trying to get your muscle tissue to replicate that synthetic exosome. Well, if you go to our page, The Science, it will explain to you that that S1 protein can cause all kinds of effects, including affecting the the tissue that forms the placenta. And this is why, evidently, according to scientists, some of the chief scientists at even Pfizer, that that uh, protein is affecting the development of the placenta, which is causing this miscarriage because it's affecting the placenta. Which the So what happens now is that these fake fact-checkers are constantly saying that it doesn't, that the S1 protein does not cause infertility. That's actually true. It, it, it appears to be true at this time. It may eventually cause infertility, but that's not what they're saying. It's not causing infertility. You still can get pregnant. You still can, you know, uh, start creating a fetus, but what it attacks is the placenta. Well, without the placenta, you will miscarriage. You miscarry, and you will have stillborn children because you can't nurture the child in your womb. If your placenta is, you know, malfunctioning because of this S1 protein. Now, I'll just call it malfunctioning. 
So they're going around saying it's not causing infertility, it's not causing sterility, and it is not. And they're absolutely true, the fact checkers are absolutely true in saying it. But what they don't tell you is that it's affecting the placenta. And I can show you, and we have links on that page, the science at Preparing You, that show you the actual studies that say that, yeah, this is affecting tissues in other parts of the body. Heart tissues, lung tissues, liver tissues, other organ tissues, including the placenta. Which placenta doesn't exist until you're pregnant. But as your body starts to grow that placenta, this protein can affect it, which will cause a miscarriage. doesn't cause infertility, but you do not produce a child. It comes out before it's time, like we talked about in our study of Micah. I mentioned it in that, where it talks about your your women, your your daughters actually shedding their child in the field before it's time. It's it's closing up the wombs of your child, uh, your daughters, not so that they are infertile, but so that they cannot regenerate human life. And that's why, you know, this is a war on humanity. And, you know, actually, uh, there was another story about U.S. bishops discouraging Catholics from receiving the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Uh, if there is an alternative available because of the abortion link, the, the fetus is used supposedly in, you know, tissues from the fetus is used in producing the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Not that those tissues are in the vaccine, but in the process, they use tissue that originally came from fetuses that they keep growing in the laboratory, just like Bill Gates wants to grow meat in the laboratory <laughs> and feed it to us. But the reality is is the Johnson Johnson vaccine may still also contain this S1 protein, which according to other doctors who are the top medical and scientific doctors in the United States say was grafted into, artificially manufactured and grafted into this existing exosome so that it would carry this S1 protein. But anyway, the point is, is they tell you the truth to say that this threat or danger from either the PEG or from the S1 protein is there because they have arguments there. I, I don't. I'm not going to go to, through all here, but you can find it in the footnotes. That it's not a danger because it's not doing this, which is not what they're saying it's doing. It's not causing infertility. It's causing you not to be able to carry the child to full term. But they don't address that. They don't bring up the Georgetown University studies. They don't show you that. And you know, anyway, you have to go read how bad a science it is and maybe we'll do a show on that sometime but the reason I bring this up is what they're doing is perpetuating a lie less than the truth they are spreading darkness by putting up objects that appear to be reason that are actually not reasonable appear to be science but are not science appear to be observations that are actually blocking you from seeing the real truth. The the fact checkers are fallacy, uh, you know, 
uh, promoters, uh, fake science people. And uh, they're bringing darkness. But why is that darkness coming? Because light does not come through the 160-point IQ that you have, which is why I mentioned um, the, the you know the Mr. Watt, Alan Watts, very smart guy, and he was true. The menu is not the meal. The truth is not on the menu. The menu, uh, the the meal is the truth itself, not us talking about the truth. And so that's what we need to do is find out what that truth is. We'll do that when we come back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So if you do not tell the truth, someone said, uh, the world will end. And to some degree, that is absolutely true. If you do not tell the truth, if you do not speak the truth, if you do not manifest the truth, if you do not uh, breathe the truth into existence, because you don't speak without breathing, the world that you're in right now, the world in which your soul dwelleth will cease to exist and it will end. And another world will be born in the shadow of that place where we have less than truth, less than light. Uh, so there's truth and there's that which is less than truth. There's light and there's that which is less than light. It is, it is the shadow. Uh, the shadow in your soul is a place where chaos will dwell. And you need to let order in. And letting order in is a matter of repentance. Thinking a different way. And once you think that different way, then faith can prevail. Because faith is probity. It is, it is the realization put into action. You know, faith compels action in the world. So this is why faith is so important. In order to have that action, you it, which originates in the individual, you need other individuals in which to move the light of your realization into their lives. You need to share that realization into the lives of others. And so, anyway, so to tell a lie is to fall into darkness. And because to deny you told a lie is to dwell in darkness. And to dwell in darkness, if you no longer wish to dwell in darkness, you need to admit you told a lie. You need to confess the lie. You need to tell God it's not your fault or the fault of the woman you gave me. (laughs) It's my fault for failing to obey piously the commands of my father. And so once you go down that road of darkness, you will denounce your father and the institutions of your father and the statutes of your father and you will go into darkness. Proverbs 2.13 tells us, Who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. That's that We do not want to be those who leave the paths 
of uprightness. We're supposed to be seeking the path of righteousness and the righteousness of God, not the self-righteousness of religionists, but the righteousness of God. Are we willing to seek that that path of righteousness? Are we willing to walk in the ways of righteousness? Now, if we imagine the ways of righteousness, if we imagine this uh, pathways of righteousness that are not really true because we live in darkness, see, we can't see the true path of righteousness. And often, you know, when God tells us that he wants us to do one thing, he doesn't always tell us why. We just know we have to go this way. We know we have to pursue uh maybe what somebody is saying, uh, maybe to do something particular and there is a lesson to be learned in that. I don't know what reason. The reasons can be a multitude of reasons. But you have to go that way and pursue that way of righteousness. You know, if we look at that, uh, Proverbs 2.13 and we go back uh, oh, to Proverbs uh, 2.10. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, that's the light entering into thy heart, and knowledge is pleasant upon thy soul, knowing what is entering into your heart, into your mind, and you accept it as pleasant. You don't reject it. You And, and when that knowledge comes in, there may be pain. But if you accept the pain, you accept the guilt, you accept and... Confess the truth, and that is your pleasant, that is your pleasure, to receive the truth. You would rather know than not know. Then discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things, who... Leave the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. That is the fact checkers. <laughs> That's an example. That is the people that are promoting ideas that will lead to the destruction of humanity. And has everybody following after them. Why have they, why have people been so vulnerable to the, the, the lies and deceptions and the pandemonium of society is because in many other aspects of our lives we are not seeing the whole truth. We are not letting light into the whole truth. We are still in denial of the fact that we do not live by faith. We have faith in the religions that we have constructed. We have faith in the religions that we have manufactured in our imagination which is nothing more than idolatry we worship the idol of our philosophy rather than see the whole truth so therefore we can be deceived and we have because we have all these dark spots in our heart and our mind who rejoice to do evil and delight in the for uh forwardness of the wicked. I mean, who out there is taking delight in wickedness? Is that happening? Is that out there in the world? Now we can focus on that and judge these people who are living these lives of wickedness. You know, or celebrating the abortion of their children. 
who are celebrating the confusion, who are celebrating the chaos, and shutting down anybody and taking away the liberties of their neighbor. And, you know, what is it, uh, $1.9 billion uh, COVID bill or whatever, the stimulus bill that is coming before Congress that is just stacks and stacks, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of pages. You know, I mean, $2 billion, am I saying $2 trillion? <laughs> the, the numbers are staggering. Uh you know, what was he saying that uh, I think just a trillion dollars, you could stack up one dollar bills halfway to the moon. So I guess they're almost all the way to the moon just by stacking up one dollar bills, which they will never stack up because you'll never see them. But uh the reality is, is that, uh you know, whose ways are crooked, they say. And they they uh forward in their paths. To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. And of course, that who is this strange woman? Because they talk in other places about getting rid of the strange woman, strange wives. Well, that's your welfare system. That is your system of caring for you. The woman is the caregiver of the family. So when they talk about a strange woman, they're talking about... A system that careth for the needy of your society in a strange way. And what she does is she does it through a way of force. You know, she is the benefactor. Her system, which they refer to as a female, the system of caring, is based on forcing the contributions of the people. Offering you, you know, these flattering words. Great swelling words we see in the New Testament, which forsake the guide of her youth, which was a system originally in Israel of faith, hope, and charity. It was free will offerings. That's what they call free will offerings, took care of the needy of society through this network of Levites, and which were policed by the elders in every family. Not by force, but they simply knew, you don't do a good job, I don't have to pay you. Because it's a free will offering. I get to choose who I will give it to. So the guys who were doing a good job were funded. And the guys who were not doing a good job were not funded. Now they have a bill in front of a Congress because you have gone so far out of the way that is $1.9 trillion dollars. And you have no idea where that money is going. <laughs> and you have no choice in the matter because you're all back in the bondage of Egypt. You've gone so far away from the ways of God, you don't even know what the ways of God are. So this is why I'm doing this program, and it's probably going to be a series of programs, because I'm not a tenth of the way through my notes that I put together just last night up until midnight. But I want you to understand how the kingdom works. The way of God works. The the metaphysical spiritual power of God working in you. And that begins on an individual basis. But in order for it to expand out into the universe, you must gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands for the purposes of Christ, which Christ said, I am one who comes to serve. So that's why you gather, to be of service to others. 
Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. They think that, you know, the ones that are now in power in the government in this nation and a lot of other nations across the world are seemingly in power. Their, their darkness is spreading across the land. Their, their confusion, their chaos is spreading across the land. I mean, what was in the news just before the show began is they're building all these barricades and everything because they're going to try the, the police officers that were involved in, and uh, were present at the time that George Floyd killed himself by taking a pill and swallowing the pill, which gave him an overdose by two, three times what should be in your body. And that's what killed him. You know, I mean, how many people out there don't know that the policemen did not put him down on the sidewalk? They were arresting him for being intoxicated and uh, breaking the law and stealing through counterfeiting and, uh, you know, wanted to drive under the influence of drugs, uh, which he was incapable of doing uh, safely. So they were trying to arrest him and he would not get in the car and he insisted upon laying down on the sidewalk. They have that on tape. They had that on tape from day one, but they did not tell you. Nobody threw him to the ground and nobody bruised, even bruised slightly his neck with any kind of weight or anything like that. He wanted to lay down. They don't tell you that because the truth is not in them. They are lying to you. And he died because he had an overdose of both methamphetamine and uh, fentanyl in his body. And it, it, that's why he was saying before anybody even got him out of his car, he couldn't breathe. His own car. He, he couldn't breathe because he was overdosing already on fentanyl. And he wanted to lay down and that the police officers were waiting there because they had already called the ambulance. They called it twice to try to get it there within, and it did come within eight minutes. But he was already doomed. That The ambulance couldn't have saved him because he was already overdosing on on these drugs, which he chose to take. He probably wouldn't have been taking them had the government not shut down the economy and he lost his job and idleness of losing his job, he went back to the drugs. He may have because he was constantly going back to the drugs. He had been arrested similarly, uh, I think less than a year before. And he also swallowed the fentanyl tablet that he had in his mouth at that time as well. Uh, But it didn't kill him that time. It did this time. But that's how he died. And now they're preparing for violence because people dwell, the wicked dwell in darkness. They have gone the way of darkness. They don't want to see the truth. And if you speak the truth, they will cancel you. They will try to shut you up. I don't mind if you say lies. I know it hurts you. It doesn't hurt me because I don't believe them. But I don't want you to say those lies but I'm not going to cancel you. I know the lie will cancel you because the world will end for you. Wisdom will end for you. Proverbs 20.20 20, Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp 
shall be put out in obscure darkness. These people are rushing into darkness. Not a good place to go. Not a good place to go. You know, Albert Einstein once said, from the standpoint of daily life, however, there is one thing we do know. That we are here for the sake of each other. We are here as individuals for the sake of each other. Above all, for those upon whose smile and well-being our own happiness depends. And also for the countless unknown souls with whose fate we are connected by a bond of sympathy. Many times a day I realize how much my own outer and inner life, you know, the visible and invisible life, is built upon the labors of my fellow men, both living and dead, those who have gone before us. How earnestly I must exert myself in order to give in return as much as I have received. So, yeah, we want to be careful at, at tearing down the institutions of the past. Because we are a product of that past. And to tear down those institutions that have gone before. To block out the memory of those who have gone before. Whether they be good or evil. Is rushing into the chaos and darkness of destruction. So anyway, I was going to... uh, only got a little bit of time, but we'll go over this. I've already done a show on this a long time ago, but I've re, I've revamped my notes on the subject. Because there's this new book by Jordan Peterson that's coming out. His old book was 12 Rules for Life. And, of course, his new book is 12 More Rules for Life. <laughs> so he's got 24 Rules for Life. And, of course, I'm not using Jordan Peterson as anything but a springboard. He's he's thought about a lot of these things. He's talked about a lot of these things. And he is still struggling, obviously, with it. Just like the the Mr. Watt that we quoted, uh his life was a mess. Now Jordan Peterson's life, you know, he has a good family and, and he stayed married and uh he's has those things going for him, but he has made some serious mistakes and suffered for him and admitted it and confessed it and realized that he should have known better. And, uh, you know, as a set of <laughs> unforeseen circumstances. And uh, the reality is I can take you back in his life. At many times in his life, I mean, he originally started as a socialist and realized that that was a mistake. That's huge. You know, Thomas Sowell did the same thing. He was originally a communist and realized that was a mistake. And when people asked him, what changed your mind? He said, facts. But it really wasn't facts. The facts were already here. The truth is always here, all the time, right alongside of us. <laughs> and sometimes it's in a parallel universe to us because we've fallen out of the world because we've rejected the truth. We've accepted a lie. We have been a part of that lie. And so we are no longer in the universe in which the truth can be seen. It's right here next to us, but we can't see it because we live in the universe in which the lie is dwelling. Now, to some degree, that's all the same universe. But to us, it doesn't matter because we can't see that. 
So in his 12 rules for life, which actually is the antidote to chaos, Jordan Peterson goes over these 12 rules, and they're so basic and fundamental. But they're thought-provoking. And I can bring some parallels in these rules with the biblical text. And hopefully it begins to take those steps towards the light. You know, his first rule is stand up straight. You know, he talks about, you know, pursuing life, liberty in this pursuit of happiness. In his 12 rules for life, this first one, stand up, stand up straight. It has to do with taking back your responsibility. That you have to stand up. This is an individual thing. But like Albert Einstein was saying is that, yeah, we have this individual life, but the whole purpose of it is that we're here for the sake of others. Because in the singularity of things, you know, there there is no separation between us and others. It says if if your goal is your happiness, you by that mere thought you may be excluding others. And then within the singularity of the universe, if we exclude one life from their pursuit of happiness, their liberty, we exclude everyone else by default. And by excluding everyone else, we exclude ourselves. There's something I always say that we don't love anybody more than the person we love the least. And people find that very difficult to fathom. But if we're talking about love as God loves, you know, that the whole world might be saved. That has to be our position too, that we love so that the whole world might be saved. Which is, of course, why Christ says we have to love our enemy. We don't have to like what our enemy is doing. That isn't, that isn't love. We don't have to excuse or, or uh, encourage or uh, accept what our enemy is doing. Because loving your enemy may be to stop your enemy from injuring somebody else. As a matter of fact, if you're not willing to risk your life and liberty and happiness to protect the life and liberty of others, then how can you say you love others as much as yourself? Because you don't care about them. You won't risk your life and liberty for theirs. You may risk your life and liberty for yours, but you won't do it for theirs. Where is the singularity in that? Where is the righteousness in that? Where is Christ in that? Because Christ was willing to lay down his life that ye might be saved. Love, the love of God, the love that comes from God, when I say of God, is the blood of life itself. Without that love, life will be diminished. Life will slip into chaos, into darkness. And there will be no life. And life will diminish. And that's what we're seeing. It isn't the Pfizer, Moderna thing that is uh, out there taking away the life from the wombs of our daughters and everybody lining up for their own destruction and, you know, masking the truth so that you cannot even see it. What we're seeing is the byproduct of already rejecting the truth and the way and the life. 
Because we haven't been doing what Christ said. We haven't sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We're not taking care of the needy of our society through faith, hope, and charity. We're doing it through force, fear, and violence. So the sequela of that is a pathological condition of self-destruction, of suicide. We have taken a bite out of one another. And now our consciousness is literally devoured by the world that we have allowed to be created and even participated in the creation of. And we need to repent of that and go back the other way. That is that is sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and starting to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and coming together to serve like Christ came. That's coming in the name of Christ. So join us at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Join the network. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And we'll see you in the kingdom. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.